Welcome to the Voo Church Podcast. Have you ever watched a movie and wished it ended differently? You may be surprised to discover that often movies have an alternate ending, a different route the writer decided to take. The death and resurrection of Jesus was the greatest alternate ending of all time. What we thought was death was truly life. In this special Easter Sunday message, Pastor Rich Wilkerson Jr. shares what the cross of Christ means for our life. We have been rerouted to relationship. To discover more on the ministry of Jesus, check out vuchurch.com slash Israel. Now let's lean in to the message together. John chapter 21, starting in verse 1. This is after Jesus' resurrection. The scripture says this, After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. And Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as the day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no, he said to them. Cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat dragging the net full of fish for they were not far from the land but about a hundred yards off and when they got out on land they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread jesus said to them bring some of the fish that you have just caught i want to take a few moments today on this easter sunday i believe this is a historic sunday at vu church we had a historic good friday largest Good Friday we've ever had, had a historic egg drop, largest egg drop we've ever had. And I'm believing for a historic Easter Sunday, not just in attendance, but I'm believing that many who are far from God by the end of this word today are gonna come back home. And I wanna preach for the next few moments from this subject, alternate ending, alternate ending. Would you pray with me, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that it's alive. We thank you that it's active. We thank you that today, Lord, as we read it, Jesus, we start to get a glimpse and a new revelation of you. Speak to us now. We want to hear from you, Jesus. We love you. We praise you. We give you all of the glory. And if you agree with that prayer, all of God's people said? All of God's people said? Come on, if you love Jesus, whatever location you are at, whatever room you are in, can you go ahead and make a little bit of noise? I like a loud church. Someone write hallelujah in the YouTube chat right now. Or just put the fire emoji. I don't know. Put something in there. My friend, Pastor Judah Smith, used to tell me a story about his father when he would put him to bed at night. His dad is now in heaven. His dad was Wendell Smith. He was a great man of God. And Wendell Smith, when he'd put young Judah to sleep, he used to look at Judah and say, Judah... If I was to line up all the little boys in all of the world and I had to pick just one boy to be my son, I would choose you. And when I heard that, I always thought that was so beautiful. And so when I had my first son, Wyatt, and then my second son, Wild, and then my third child, my favorite child, Waylon, our daughter, when I put them to, down to sleep, I would go through this. And the other night I was talking to Wild, he's three years of age, and he really lives up to his name. He's quite wild. I said, Wild, if you were to line up all the three-year-old little boys in all of the world, and I could only decide on one to be my son, Wild, I would choose you. 
And he smiled at me. And I said, Wild, if we were to line up all the daddies in the world, and you could only choose one, who would you choose, son? He said, Mommy. I said, you little freaking kid, all right. The power of a decision. The power of a decision. Decisions determine our direction. Today is Easter Sunday, and it's a great day to make a deliberate decision about Jesus. I don't know if you ever heard this term before, but alternate ending it really has been derived from the film industry when they're making a movie. In fact, today there's many movies that are out there in the world, but you can start to Google or go to different websites and you can see that they have alternate endings, that there's different decisions that are made that completely change the outcome of the story. Uh, one of the great films, I might be dating myself, but one of the great, great films of uh, our time here on earth is the great film known as Dumb and Dumber. Can I get an amen from a few people that, if you've never seen the film, I'm not recommending it. I'm not advocating. I barely saw it one time. And um, it's a story of two guys, Harry and Lloyd, Jim Carrey and Jeff Daniels. And these guys are just, they have a hard time. They're just, they're dumb and dumber. Um, but after a, a crazy adventure where they've just come up short time and time again. They're, they're finally leaving Aspen. You'll remember that famous scene and they're trying to hitchhike their way out of there and they're walking. They got no ride. They got no vehicle, just the two of them. And all of a sudden this big bus pulls up and it's full of these beautiful model girls. Once again, these people are not Christian who made this film. These men have not come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ yet. <laughs> And the bus pulls over and these models say, hey, we're looking for two guys to come and spend the entire summer with us. And then all of a sudden, Jeff Daniels' character says, well, there's a town back that way and I'm sure you could find two guys to come and help you guys for the rest of the summer. The bus starts to drive off and Jim Carrey looks and says, what are you doing? You're an idiot. And he chases after the bus. He slams on the bus. They put on the brakes. The door opens up and he says, oh, I'm so sorry. My friend, he's a little slow. The town is actually back that way. <laughs> Dumb and dumber. Their decision determined their outcome. What I find interesting about the story I did not know was that in that film, when the writer wrote the movie Dumb and Dumber, the director and the writer had both Jim Carrey and Jeff Daniels getting onto that bus. But when Jim Carrey was there on the set, he said, no way, there is no possible way these guys would ever be able to make that decision. And in that moment, Jim Carrey, opposite of what the director had in store, deliberately decided not to get on the bus, ultimately creating an alternate ending, an alternate ending. Decisions determine our direction. I love Easter Sunday because it really is the Super Bowl of the Church of Jesus Christ. All sorts of people are willing to come to church on Easter. And we are grateful that you're here if this is the last, if we've, maybe the last time we saw you was last year. I don't know. We're happy you're back. But what I love about Easter for every one of us is that every disciple has to make a decision about who Jesus is. And today, if Jesus really did resurrect from the grave, that is really good news. If he did not, we are all wasting our time. By the end of this message, every one of us will have an opportunity to decide if that's true. I suppose we have to begin to ask ourselves the question, where am I headed? What direction am I going in? You see, God's word would tell us that all of us were born into sin. All of us were born broken. All of us are already on the road to destruction. 
Now, if you're new to church or if you're new to a gathering like this, you go, that's so mean, bro. How dare you say that? But the people that say that typically have never had children. Because all the moms and dads in this world, we all believe in the depravity of humanity. Because if you've had a child, no matter how cute they are, you know they are sinners. My wife and I have never given a lecture to our three toddlers on how to disobey. They just know how to do it. I've never pulled out a PowerPoint presentation and looked at my two little boys and said, fellas, this is how you stretch the truth. No, they are already gifted in this category. I have met my daughter Waylon, year and a half, the most beautiful little girl you have ever seen. We slick her hair back, we put it in pigtails. She put on a white dress, but don't let her good looks fool you. She's a sinner. I never taught her the word no, but she somehow doesn't even have the language, but she's got the body language. Ah. Why is it? It's because we were born in to sin. All of us, every one of us. I don't care where you were born. I don't care how you were born. I don't care who your parents are. I don't care what side of the street you grew up on. I don't care where you were educated, uneducated. Don't care what your job is. Don't care what your title is. All of us have the same starting point. Romans chapter three says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Look up the word all in Greek. Guess what it is? All. Everybody. Everybody. Everybody, everywhere. Sinners. Miss the mark of God. Romans chapter six, that same writer would say this, verse 23, for the wages of sin is death. Meaning sin has a payment plan. Sin has a reward. Sin has an outcome. And the outcome and the payment and the reward is one thing. It's death. So all of us, born of a woman, all of us are headed in the direction of destruction. But praise God for Jesus. Thank God for Easter. Today we have an opportunity to make a deliberate decision that our God might have an alternate ending. He can change your direction. It seems from the very beginning that God has always had a rescue plan that God has always wanted to interrupt our story with his story, that God always wanted to reroute us through repentance. For even in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 18, this day I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. But our God is so merciful. He's that teacher that you always loved. Teacher, is it true or false? It's true. He tells you the answer. God says, now choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God. Listen to his voice. Easter is our opportunity to interrupt the story that has been written by making a deliberate decision and step into an alternate ending. You are not called to die. You are called to live. You are not called to live in sin. You are called to walk in righteousness. You weren't meant to walk in darkness. Come on. You're going to step onto a new path. The road you're headed in is one of light. And so today on this Easter Sunday, my outline is quite simple. My outline pretty much goes this way. I want to show you two states of Jesus. I want to show you two implications of the resurrection. And I want to land at two case studies and we will come to a close at John chapter 21, our opening text. Life and death is set before us. Two states of Jesus, two implications of the resurrection, 
and two case studies. Let's get to work. There is a theological doctrine and it's the theological doctrine of the humanity of Jesus and it's known as the two states of Jesus. These two states, if we could use the movie metaphor for a moment, is much like two acts of Jesus's humanity. Now, if you're new to church and you're wondering what we believe as a congregation, we believe that Jesus is all God, but simultaneously he was all man. And so this doctrine around the state of Jesus categorizes Jesus's humanity into two different states. The two states are first humiliation and then exaltation. Let me prove this to you for a moment through Philippians chapter two, verse five. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature, God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but instead made himself nothing. This is humiliating. Taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, he humiliated himself and became obedient even unto death, death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. If you're new to VU, I know you keep hearing the name VU around town. That's just our slang name. That's just our nickname. The only name that hangs above this church is the one true name of Jesus Christ. We are a Jesus people. It's Jesus, it's Jesus, it's Jesus, it's Jesus. And Jesus is the one who's created an alternate ending for me. Humiliation precedes exaltation. And as you look at these two acts or these two states of Jesus, each one of these states or each one of these acts would be marked by four different scenes of Jesus's life. Let's start with humiliation. It first begins with the incarnation. This is the very fact that Jesus Christ, the son of God, stepped out of divinity wrapped himself up in flesh and blood, the creator became the creation. This in and of itself is humiliating that Jesus Christ was born of a woman in a barn, in a stable. But in that incarnation, he grows up into a man and it leads to his second scene, which is the scene of suffering that Jesus Christ took on our flesh, took on our humanity, and with it was confined to our humanity. Meaning, Jesus got tired. He needed a nap. He got hungry. He needed to be fed. He would get thirsty and need something to drink. Jesus, the scripture says, was tempted in all the same ways that you and I are tempted. That's what we're talking about for the next few weeks at VU, starting next week, that he understands us more than we know. But it's not that he just suffered with our limitations. He literally suffered. We remember on Good Friday, which we just celebrated, that he was falsely accused, betrayed by a dear friend. Some of you this past year, you've walked through deep betrayal, deep offense, deep hurt, deep trauma. Let me tell you, Jesus understands you. Jesus knows what that feels like. He suffered in every way that you have suffered. They brought him before a trial where he was falsely accused and Ultimately, they, they stripped his clothes and they left him naked. They took a cat of nine tails and they, they beat his back and ripped his flesh. They spit on him and they kicked him and they mocked him and they ridiculed him. They took his torture chamber known as the cross, this tool for execution. They put it on his back. How humiliating, naked, carrying his very cross to Golgotha's hill got so tired because of his limitation that another man had to carry his cross. But when they got to the top of that hill, his suffering did not stop, nor did his humiliation end. But rather they took nails and they drove them through his hands and they drove them through his feet. They hung him high and stretched him wide. They took a spear and pierced it through his side. 
And from that cross, he did not shout hurls of insults. He did not curse you. Instead, he declared, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Who is this God? Who is this Jesus? He declared in his final breath, it is finished. And the scripture would say that when he declared it is finished, there in the temple, in the holiest of holies, the veil that separated the Ark of the Covenant from the rest of the temple, it was split in two because it was a de declaration that every person is welcomed into the presence of God because Jesus Christ was humiliated and he suffered on your behalf. But his suffering did not stop for they took his dead body and they put it in to a tomb. He was buried was the third scene. And it's amazing because even in his burial, even in his death, he was still fulfilling prophecies. Ain't that powerful that even in Jesus' death, he's still doing more work than I could ever do. <laughs> the scripture says that he would be buried in a wealthy man's tomb. And that's exactly what he did. He was buried in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. Joseph was a wealthy man. Jesus could not even purchase his own tomb. And some of us, we feel so bad and we feel pity for him because he was poor. I don't think he was poor. I think he was a good businessman. Why would you ever buy something that you only intended on using for three days? Come on, that's called good business. Let me borrow it. I'm not going to buy it. I'm only planning on using it for a little while. He was buried. He suffered. He was in the incarnate birth. He died. His death shows his humiliation. But it's humiliation that precedes exaltation. Because from this first act of humiliation, incarnation, suffering, death, and burial leads to his exaltation, which are four scenes as well, which is his resurrection. This is why we're here today, because we believe he ain't in that grave, that he got up out of that grave. The scripture says that early on the first day of the week, that was Sunday, the stone had been rolled away. That in itself was a supernatural phenomenon. That stone was not some lightweight stuff. Mary Magdalene could have never moved that stone. That stone weighed about two tons. But understand, that stone was not moved so Jesus could get out. It's better than that. That stone was moved so that you and I, we could get in. Anybody grateful that he lets us into his story? From his resurrection, Jesus walks on the earth most likely for about 40 days. Over 500 eyewitness accounts, people saw him. People who scattered on Friday begin to gather on Sunday. People that walked away all of a sudden became martyrs for Jesus. Hypocrites and martyrs are not made out of the same stuff. These men were not dying for a lie. They were dying for the truth. We saw him die, we saw him get back up. But after 40 days of walking on the earth, he went to the Mount of Olives and the second scene of his second act of exaltation was his ascension. And the Bible says in the book of Matthew that many believed that day, but still some doubted. I land there because I just understand that many of you have come in here today and some of us were saying, if I could just see it with my own eyes, if I could see a sign, if I could see a wonder, if I could see a miracle, then I would believe. I would be careful with that type of talk because some of us, we are trying to prove if there really is a God. Some of us are trying to judge, is there really a God? But many that day saw the man ascend to heaven and even when they watched him ascend, a great sign, a great wonder, they still doubted him. Why? Because faith doesn't come by sight. Faith comes by the word of God. We need the Holy Spirit to reveal who Jesus is. And as he ascended to heaven, the scripture says that the third scene was the session of Christ. That is the doctrinal truth that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. I know many times we find ourselves saying, Jesus is in my heart, and I, I, I like it, I understand the sentiment, but really the Holy Spirit is with you. Jesus, if you're wondering where he is right now, he is seated next to the Father. Do you know why he's seated? Because my man is done. 
Some of you dudes, you go to work and you come home after you work really hard. Just give me a moment. Where is my lazy boy chair? I want to sit down. I've been working hard. Jesus got to heaven and said, where is my chair? My work is finished. My blood is enough. I'm seated. But then the fourth scene that we wait on, which has not happened yet, but it is coming. And it's part of the humanity of Jesus. The fourth scene of his exaltation is the return of Jesus Christ. Today, I got this funny looking outfit on, but I dressed in all white because I didn't come to a funeral today. I dressed in all white because it's a prophetic gesture to the world around me that Jesus Christ is not dead, but rather he is alive. But not just that, I am prophesying he is coming back. He will return for a spotless bride. He's coming for his church. Somebody take five seconds right now and thank God that he's coming back for you. He's coming back, he's coming back. He's coming back, he's coming back. I'm dressed in all white because he's coming back. He's not dead, he is alive. Before exaltation, there must be humiliation. Those who want to follow Jesus and have him change their ending must follow the same road. Before we receive salvation, we must acknowledge the grotesque nature of our sin. You see, it's important that we note today that I am not a sinner because I sin. I sin because I am a sinner. It is my very nature. It is my identity. I, I, I can't win on my own. I can't reach my destiny and destination on my own. You ever meet somebody who just keeps messing up? It's like, I just can't help myself. Guess what? They're right. I can't help myself. My flesh and my sin is too big and it's too great and it's too heavy. I lose that battle every single time. So what do we do? Well, we must admit that we can't win. We have to give up. We have to give in. We have to surrender. What is salvation? Salvation is not a prayer. Salvation is not head knowledge. Salvation is the very act of surrendering your entire life. But what many don't realize about salvation and surrender is that surrendering can be humiliating. 39 years of age, three children, successful business, it could be humiliating to say, I don't have a problem. I am the problem. Left to myself, I know the end of the story. I know my destination. I know my outcome. But each and every one of us, if we will surrender, which can feel humiliating, as we are humiliated at the grotesque nature of our flesh, it leads us onto the path just like Jesus, that if we wanna share in his glory, if I wanna share in his exaltation, I must also be willing to share in his suffering. Which leads us to two case studies and two implications of the resurrection. Before exaltation comes, humiliation. Let's apply this and let's discover this and how this is good news for you and I. Case study number one is Judas Iscariot. Judas Iscariot, if I was to ask most of the room or most of the online audience today, close your eyes and picture the worst sinner of all time. Somehow Judas has become the scapegoat that we don't even know what he looks like, but somehow we think that Judas is the profile and the picture of the worst sinner. Judas betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. And from a little boy in Sunday school or from an outsider who's never been to church, most of us know his name and his name is associated with being a traitor. He's a sinner. He messed up royally. We don't know a lot about Judas, but we know some things about Judas. 
We know that Judas was one of the 12 disciples. In fact, he's one of the 12 apostles. This is really important to note because we live in a world right now where everyone wants to pick their mentor. Everyone wants someone to mentor them. But what we don't realize about the biblical Jesus is that in that time period, you didn't get to pick your mentor. Your mentor picked you. Why does that matter, Rich? It matters because Judas didn't choose Jesus. Jesus chose Judas. You need to see it today because out of all the people that Jesus could pick and choose, he saw something in Judas. He looked at Judas and said, I like you. I want to be around you. I want to spend the next three years with you. I have favor towards you. I have this affinity about you. I want you to walk with me and I want to talk with you and I want to eat with you. And I see there's a special potential and a great purpose on your life. Judas didn't choose Jesus. Jesus chose Judas. We don't know a lot about Judas, but we know some things. We know that Judas, he, uh, he, he managed the money for Jesus. Once again, Jesus, with his own words, said, foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. I think he is describing the life of a simple prophet, that he's moving from one place to the next, trusting God. But just because he was trusting God didn't mean that there wasn't money flowing in. How on earth could 12 dudes travel for three years, eat, stay places. It was because people were financing it. And out of all the people that Jesus could get to manage the money, he chose Judas. Judas, of course, had a greed problem. We know that because the scripture says that he was taking money for himself. There's one story where a woman comes in and she pours out an alabaster box. She gives a year's worth of her salary and we see the self-righteous, greedy nature of Judas that he perks up and says, how on earth could we do this? We could take all of that salary and we could give it to the poor. This is not my message, but it's important to note that sometimes the things that we pick apart publicly, sometimes the sins that annoy us the most, sometimes the things that we are the most judgmental about are the things that we're struggling with the most privately. Out of all the people to judge this woman, it was Judas. Judas was judging her, saying, we could have done more with that money. Hey, Judas, you also don't have to steal the money. We could use that money for the work as well. Jesus chose Judas. Eventually, his greed caught up with him that he one day decided and chose to betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. The story is set in the Garden of Gethsemane that Judas leads an angry mob of Pharisees and Roman soldiers to where Jesus is. And he says, the one that I kiss will be the one that I'm betraying. And he kisses Jesus on the cheek. And the last words that Judas ever heard from Jesus, Jesus looked back at Judas and said, friend, do what you came to do. I like it because while this man is betraying him, Jesus is still loving him. While this man is sinning against Jesus, Jesus is still taking time to be who he is, which is grace and truth. And this is what pops out to me that I'd never seen before, never noticed. Matthew chapter 27 Jesus is taken, he's accused, and he's being tried falsely, and he's sentenced to death. Matthew 27, verse three says this, then when Judas, his betrayer, saw that Jesus was condemned, watch this, he changed his mind. I stop right there, because if you've been to Vu Church, you know the Greek word for repentance, what it literally means is to change your mind. He changed his mind and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders saying, I have sinned. Judas recognizes his sin. He acknowledges that he is the problem. I've sinned by betraying innocent blood. They said, what is that to us? See to it yourself. One translation says, it's now your responsibility. And throwing down the pieces of silver into the temple, he departed and he went out and he hanged himself. Changed his mind. That's the definition of repentance. He acknowledges his sin, realizes what he has done, returns the money, yet he is still left with the shame and guilt. He doesn't know how to lift the burden. He thinks the movie is over and the end credits have come up. Jesus is dead. 
I helped kill him. I, I should be on that cross. I, I must pay for my sin. Justice must be served. I will take matters into my own hands. And Judas goes out and he hangs himself on a tree. Only if he knew the power of an alternate ending. I wish he could have waited just one more day because it looked like Jesus was dead and gone. But nobody knew Sunday was coming. Nobody knew that Jesus was getting ready to resurrect. You see, the first implication of the resurrection is our justification. It's why we celebrate. Because if you're in Christ Jesus, you have been justified. God the Father poured out all of His wrath upon Jesus and it satisfied Him to do so. Jesus took our compensation, our death, our consequence, and He conquered death. But many of us here today, we're just like Judas. We hang ourselves in different ways of the week, throughout the week, every week because of shame and guilt, because of a spirit of self-righteousness that we're completely blind to. Someone's gotta pay, I gotta make myself pay. I gotta take matters into my own hands. Listen to me, you don't have to talk to yourself that way. You don't have to keep beating yourself up over every mistake that you made last year. You don't have to drink yourself numb every night in order to forget the regrets. Some of you, you're in therapy three days, four days a week. I'm for therapy, I'm for counseling. I just wonder, do you know, do you know the power of the blood of Jesus? That there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. You don't have to make yourself pay. You've been justified. He resurrected. You don't have to hang. You don't have to die. There is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus because he was condemned. Lest I empty the cross of its power. Lest I make the resurrection some type of fantasy. No, I decided to follow Jesus and with it I have been justified. I've been justified, I've been justified. Judas, you don't have to hang yourself from that tree because Jesus already did. You don't have to hang yourself this week if you're in Jesus because Jesus, he already did. Quit it. Shame's a killer. Make a decision today that you believe in the power of what Jesus did. Receive grace, receive mercy, receive forgiveness. You're not a mistake. You're not your sin. You're not your issue. You're not your problem. You're not your, you're not your addiction. You're not your mess up. You're not your bad day. You're not your bad year. You're not your bad next year. You see our second case study. I don't know why I wore this dumb sweater. I cried way too much in the 8 a.m. And that was my practice. And now I'm crying at 10 a.m. You see, our second case study is Simon Peter. And Peter was also a disciple. He was also chosen by Jesus. Peter and Judas had very similar experiences for three years. They heard the same sermons, met the same people, saw the same miracles, ate at the same restaurants, slept in the same hotels. In fact, Peter sinned in the exact same way that Judas did. Judas's betrayal was motivated by greed while Peter's betrayal was motivated by fear. Judas got paid, Peter got scared. Same sin, bro, same exact sin. Peter denied Jesus three different times to a little girl at that. He ran from his mark, he ran from his place. When Jesus needed him the most, he was gone, he was absent. Yet two totally different ending stories. One man hangs from a tree. The other man becomes the leader of the church of Jesus Christ. 
Most of us, we think the worst sinner we could ever imagine is Judas. The best Christian we could ever imagine, St. Peter. And we land here at our text in John chapter 21 because I saw something recently talking to a friend that I'd never seen before. I've preached John chapter 21. I've preached most of the New Testament stories. And in John chapter 21, it oftentimes gets preached and I've preached it this way. That Peter, after Jesus had resurrected, decided to go back to the boats to start fishing. And most of the time you hear John 21 preach, including me, we say, oh, he was backsliding. His shame and his guilt got the best of him and he retreated from his calling and he returned to his former profession of work. But I've been reading it, I've been talking to a friend and I just see something differently. I'd never seen it before, never heard it preached before. But I don't know how I could study this story and preach it so many different times and somehow miss the opportunity that maybe there was a different motivation behind Peter going to fish. Because when you read John chapter 21, with the early gospel accounts of Peter's calling, it looks like the exact same story. Maybe Peter doesn't go back to the fishing boat because he was faithless. Maybe he goes back to the fishing boat because he's being faithful. And he's saying, why don't I go back to the beginning? Why don't I go back to the start, to the place where God started to alternate my ending? When you don't know what to do, you just do what you know to do. And maybe he wants to go back to the place that the call began. The call was initiated. Revelation says it this way. It says, come back to your first love. Go back and do the things you did at first. And Peter's like, I don't know what just happened. I just messed up. I just... I just ran from the only one who ever put purpose on my life and he's dead and he's in a grave. But yo, this is not how I thought the story was gonna end. When he found me fishing and he called me to be a fisher of men, I didn't think this is how the story was going to end. When he called me the rock, I didn't think this is how the story was going to end. When I was walking on water with him, this is never how I saw this story ending. So I don't know what to do. But I'm gonna go back to the place where he first found me. It's complicated, man. Life is complicated right now. I'm struggling right now. But I'm just gonna go back and do what I know to do because he found me once there. I bet he can find me again there. I'm going back to the boat because maybe just maybe there's something back at the boat. So we preach it, he goes fishing because he's backsliding, not just that. When you're backsliding, be careful because you can bring people with you. He takes other disciples with him, but I think he's just out there going, I've done this before. It's funny because every time you see the disciples fishing, allegedly they're professional fishermen, but you ever notice they're never catching fish? And while he's out there fishing, here comes Jesus, resurrected. And he gets to the seashore, John chapter 21. And what does he call them? He calls them children. Children! Children, you caught any fish? They're like, no, we've been out here all night, nothing. He says, just try the other side. Okay? They throw the net onto the other side and literally the hall is so big full of fish that they can't even pull the fish onto the boat. You gotta love John because he's the one who's writing this gospel and every time he talks about himself in his own gospel, he always says, the one whom Jesus loved. It's like, shut up, bro. He goes, the beloved then said to Peter, it is the Lord. And with it, I'm coming back to this later this year, no doubt about it. With it, Peter jumps out of that boat, doesn't walk on water. He starts swimming. It kind of reminds me of Matthew 14. Remember Matthew 14? They're in a storm and Jesus walks out there. They don't know it's Jesus. They think it's a ghost, but Jesus says, come to me. But this time I can just see Peter go, man, if I ever get a chance again, if I ever get a chance, if, if I'm ever out in a boat again, if I'm ever out in a boat and Jesus just so happens to be not in that boat and I see him not in that boat, I'm not even gonna wait for him to call me. I'm not looking for permission. I'm getting out of that boat. 
Whether I walk on water, whether I sink, or whether I swim, I'm gonna make my way to Jesus, the author, perfecter, finisher of my life. I'm getting to Jesus. Oh, if I ever get the chance again, if I ever see him again, I'm getting out of the boat. I'm taking a step of faith because it wasn't about walking on water. It was about getting to Jesus. I'm just gonna make my way to Jesus. And this time when he gets out, he doesn't walk on water. No, it's humiliating. Instead, he starts to sink and he's swimming his way. But his humiliation and his sinking and his swimming is the path, it's the road, it's the direction to an alternate ending of exaltation. because he gets to the seashore and we don't have time. We don't have time. We don't have time. We don't have time. But the scripture says there's a charcoal fire burning. It's so beautiful because there's only two times in the New Testament you see that charcoal fire. The first time you see the charcoal fire is when Peter denies Jesus three times. The second time you see a charcoal fire, it's when Jesus is reinstating Peter as if to say, the smell of your shame the smell of your trauma, the environment where you failed. I'm going to redeem the very smell and scent that next time and every time you smell a charcoal fire, it will not remind you of your great failure. Oh baby, it's gonna remind you of my great grace, that I am the God who comes and finds you. I gotta point this out because this is important. Do you notice he calls them children? Rarely does Jesus do this with the disciples, but after the resurrection, we see this start to occur. Because Jesus shows up and he's giving us a picture of a fatherly relationship. What does he say? He says, uh, put your nets on the other side. Like he tells them where to fish. This is what dads do, by the way. It's like, put your net there. And they, oh my God, the fish. Thanks, dad. And they come on the seashore and you gotta look at the text. The text says that he already, ha he already has fish laid out, cooking them. And this is what he says, this is so good. This is such good insight. Hey, go get some of those fish that you caught and bring them over here. See, this is, this is the picture of a good father. Tells you, tells you where to get the fish. Makes you think you caught the fish. Takes the fish, cooks the fish serves you the fish. Because the second great implication of the resurrection is the resurrection doesn't just ensure your justification. The resurrection, listen to this, ensures your regeneration. That's a theological word for your spiritual rebirth. And Peter didn't know it at the time in John 21, but somehow the revelation was hitting his life because he would pen later on in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, he would say, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Watch this, through, everyone say through. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Somebody give God some praise. Peter explicitly connects the resurrection to your regeneration. Because what's he saying? He's saying, because Jesus resurrected, if you'll make a deliberate decision that he is who he said that he is, you too can be reborn. You were born wrong. You were born a sinner. But today, through the saving power of Jesus, his resurrection declares that I can be born again. Not of perishable seed, but of imperishable seed. Not of flesh, but of the Spirit. Before exaltation, there's always humiliation. For the alternate ending 
to be instated, we have to recognize I don't just have problems, I am the problem. I'm a sinner. So we come to the close of our sermon. We've heard two states of Jesus. We've heard two implications of the resurrection. We've seen two case studies. Judas hangs himself on a tree. Peter goes back to what he knows to do, keeps it simple and is reinstated and becomes the leader of the church of Jesus Christ. It was an alternate ending. And so before us today, we have a choice to make. Do we believe or deny? Do we rebel or do we repent? Do we keep running or do we return? Do we live or do we die? But the choice is ours. I'm just being honest with you today. I'm here, I wore this silly outfit. I got this sweater on, these pants. I don't know what I'm wearing. Listen, if Jesus is not who he said he is, yo, this is one big waste of time. I'm so happy you're here. You can come whenever you want, but if you don't believe who he said he is, you are wasting your time. Why on earth would you ever come and listen to this dude sweat and holler and shout? What a waste of time. Go to the beach. Go to the mall. Sleep in. Go to brunch. It's a waste. It's foolish. You don't need an Easter outfit next year. You don't need to get here early. You don't have to deal with the cars. It is a waste of time if you do not believe He is who He said that He is. But if, but if He got up out of that grave, if He conquered death, if He conquered the grave, I am telling you at the sound of my own voice, there is nothing more meaningful. There is nothing more powerful. There is nothing on earth we should be doing than giving this God glory, the God who alternates endings, the God who turns stories around, the God who takes sinners and He creates a path of righteousness. Come on if you believe it. Give God glory. Give God praise. Come on, sing it out. Come on, Ash. Come on. Thank you for listening to today's message. At VU, we believe we weren't meant to do life alone. We've been created with a unique purpose and designed to live in relationship with Jesus. If you've never surrendered your life to Him, we want to create an opportunity for you to do so today. If you want to say yes to Jesus, would you pray this with me? Dear Jesus, come into my life. Be the Lord of my life. I trust you with my past. I ask that you guide me in my present, and I even place my future in your hands. I'm yours, Lord, now and forever. In Jesus' name, amen. If you made the decision to follow Jesus today, we wanna partner with you in the next steps of your faith journey. Go to voochurch.com online. We love you.